Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Luke Tim is a guy who I feel like I could have grown up with, and he's a guy that I liked instantly. He went to Princeton. He went there to play football. He didn't play football because he was addicted to alcohol and drugs. Uh, he ended up getting arrested. His name and, and picture were splashed all over newspapers in the Northeast, and he became that guy that was, what happened to Luke? Uh, I'll tell you what happened to Luke. He got sober more than four years ago, and he is touching lives. I'll let him tell you. He can do it a lot better than me. But uh, Touch Streets is a group that he is in the process of, of finishing off the preparation, and they are going to hit the streets of New York City. I talked to him in his office in New York on 42nd and Lex. By the way, the guy is only, or 42nd and Park, excuse me, the guy's only 24 years old, and uh, he's got it going on, and he's sober, and he's carrying a great message. So without further ado, Luke Tim, but first, Kevin Souza. Sobriety. So first I want to ask you, we'll, we'll, we'll go through your story. I want to talk about what you're doing today, your coaching, mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff, you know, your office, what you have going on professionally. But I want to talk about your history, you know, alcohol and drugs, because mm -hmm. you certainly have one. Uh, and there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of dudes your age that get sober, and, and I think they feel like they can't connect with people that are their age. And I think that's why mm -hmm. what you're doing and being out there is just so important. So, and you've been sober since 2018? Yes, correct. What's your sobriety date? 42118. So, the the day after 420 if you get get a hit on that one. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was like I, I had like four or five days and then uh I was like, all right, uh, you know, push that off to uh, 421. So, so you, were you were you what was your drug of choice as they say, for lack of a better term? I would honestly say weed. Okay. Weed was probably my uh it was the one I couldn't kick at the end. Like it, it was funny because it's like, everybody's like, Oh, weed is, weed's harmless, you know, because like the physical ramifications of it aren't that bad. Yeah. But I always tell people, I'm like, that's why it's the most dangerous is because you, you tell yourself it's not that bad. So the psychology behind it is like, Oh, it's not that bad. I can do it. And it's like to, to get yourself to quit. It's a lot harder because you don't have as much motivation. You don't, unless you really can ingrain those beliefs that like, okay, this is actually dangerous for, my mental well-being, my motivation, my productivity. Um, you know, for most people, if people like just like to chill out and like don't really have a plan for their life. It's like, oh, you know, what's the problem? Like, I just work and I sit back on the couch after a long night and smoke. And it's like, okay, I, like it depends on what you want in life, you know. Well, you talk about uh, it too. It's kind of like, um, it's hard to have that like marijuana bottom, I would imagine, mm -hmm. right? But it slowly is just kind of chipping away. If that's your thing, okay. if that's all you do, because I know, I mean, you know, I know that I smoked weed when I, I when I was, in, I would smoke around the clock. It was like, you know, you mm. get that idea where you start, like you said, you lie to yourself, like, oh, I can do this. There's nothing I can't do. Well, hi. You know? 100%. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, obviously, I got into all sorts of trouble with drinking and uh, Coke. Um, I, I was using acid a pretty good amount. Um, 
so yeah, there was a lot of other shit I was doing. But at the, the end of the day, when I got kicked out of school, they sent me home uh, for the year. It was it wasn't like I was going home and reeling down lines. You know what I mean? It was more like okay, uh, smoking, hanging out with those same people, and then I would try to quit, and then it would just be that same cycle. I don't really remember there being any incidences with alcohol in that time period. I think maybe just because the environment wasn't that bad, but um, I never was like the alcoholic type that was like, I'm gonna turn to my bedside and start drinking. It's the you know once I start. I don't have an off button. Yeah. You know, so um, that was that for me. And I think I just wasn't in those environments where I was, you know, I don't really recall during that time period, but I was also probably high 99% of it. So, you know, so you grew it up- was me if it was like wake up, smoke. Yeah. You were, so you were a wake and bake guy. Yeah. Yeah. Even high school, my junior year, um, I, I probably wasn't waking big in junior year, but it was as soon as I got out of school, like smoke. All right, well, senior year I was waking big. One of the things yeah. that's that's very interesting about this is is uh, you were an excellent athlete. I, mm. I guess you grew up in Poughkeepsie, which yeah. people know what's that like an hour from New York. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half, hour yeah. and a half train ride. Not okay, bad. Uh, and so you end up playing football. When did you start? realizing you're six five i'm six five so there you go game recognizes game i like that i noticed yeah, i was amen. like all right and by the way but i was i played football i was a defensive end i didn't have the skills you were a wide receiver what, what kind of receiver were you mm. yeah i mean i was a. Uh, they split me out wide and it was kind of just like you know go long or it, 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 i honestly i my skill set people would be like oh were you fast i was like yeah i was, I was fast i definitely was fast i had incredible hands um, not to gas myself up. I was, <laughs> I asked, quick. Dude. so, uh, yeah, I mean, it all worked out and it's like, I was doing all that stuff and still having success on the field. So I was like, why well, stop? You know, I can <laughs> yeah, do anything. totally. So you grow up and you start uh, back to my initial question. when did you get the itch and you realized that? So I started, I started drinking when I was 12. Okay. Um, it was kind of just like, I remember it was a pretty traumatic moment in my life, which I feel like I still haven't like addressed with the people that were involved. Like the parties don't really know, but um, is that something you can share? I, or? Uh, not really. Um, I gotcha. I don't, I don't totally feel comfortable sharing it just cause it's just like people I know it's just keeping. It's almost like when you write um, a book, it's like, okay, you're going to write the book. And then it's like, Oh, well I, I got to talk about other people were involved in a lot of these instances. I struggle with that too. Yeah. Like when I'm talking about stuff in public, it's there's certain places I can't go because I just, you know, whether one, I totally haven't processed it yet. I'm not a finished product or two that, uh, you know, there's, you don't want to bring other people in. Exactly. And it's like, I don't want to bring them in, especially if I haven't brought it up to them either. Cause then it's kind of like a, Oh, Whoa, where did this come from? <laughs> like I didn't, yeah. you know, I don't even know if the person's aware of, um, kind of how, everything transpired affected me. Um, but it's definitely was like, I think it's what led me kind of into starting that young. I think I would have had the gene either way. Um, I don't know if I would have started that young, probably pushed me a little further along at a younger age. Um, but I also look at that moment and I'm like, okay, now I know what I want to be in the future so that that doesn't happen to like the generation that comes after me. You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, so you, you, you're 12 years old, you start to drink a little bit. Um, yep. and then how does, how does that start? When's your first, the first time you get, you get drunk or first of all, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Any, any alcoholism in your family? Anybody? Like, oh yeah. Big time. Oh, for yeah, real? Yeah, yeah. 
It's okay. all over. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's <laughs> give, 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 give me give me the background on that? What's that look like? Uh, I mean, you know, it's just every all sides, mom, dad. I don't, I don't want to shout people out, but you know, it's all over the place. So Same I mean, deal. It's, it's, it's a good amount of people. So it's not like, oh, what, this one person. Uh, it's you know, a lot of people have those characteristics. So. Did you yeah, know when you started to drink when you were like 12 and were you like, oh man, this is affecting me a little differently than, than my friends or when, when did it start to really work for you? Like work in the sense that I knew I liked it a lot or yeah, you started like, for me. I always say I could, uh, you know, I could, I could talk to girls finally, you know, that was a huge yeah, deal for me. I think it was right off the bat. Um, I, I mean, me and my friends had a good time. Like we, I would always go over to my friend's house on the weekends and their parents were, we talk about it with their parents now. We were like, you guys were so oblivious. Like we would literally drink everything, pour water in there. Like no one ever knew all the, everything would get restocked. And like, we lived pretty close to the city. So we like go out to the gas stations at night, doing manhunt, like going and seeing chicks in the neighborhood, like whatever it was. And yeah, so like all that stuff was definitely fun. And I enjoyed you know, being the guy that was ahead of the curve, like, oh, you know, I've already got started drinking and like people haven't really started doing that yet, you know? So it was like, it seemed cool in my eyes, you know? I always, I always say that, like I was looking back, right? Getting sober. I was the guy, you know, I was the guy on Wednesday figuring out how we were going to get drunk on Friday and Saturday. And then I realized that I could smoke pot during the day. And I was like, Mm. this is nuts. Now, a a lot like you, dude, because I've heard you talk a little bit. You know, I was a football guy. I got a scholarship. Mm. I went to Richmond. I developed a heart problem. They kept me on scholarship, but I couldn't play. But Mm. a lot of that shit that, I mean, I was doing a a shitload of drugs in high school. I I lost my way, and I have, like, a lot of regret around my career that I'm actually still Mm. in career. I say career. Around playing football. You know what I mean? Like, we all have those pipe dreams. I wasn't putting this There's people that have the regrets from middle school, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. And and I... uh, (laughs) And I, I look back and I'm like, here's the thing. I didn't get the most out of my ability, like nowhere near. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have this incredible ability, but certainly people thought I could play. I liked it. And I would I mean, rather. You bowled at Richmond, man. That's yeah. Division One. Yeah. Uh, but I would rather drink and, and smoke than, than yeah. do, you know, work out or, or do things that were productive. Did, when did you notice that started to happen to you? You're, the, you're, you're, you're playing football. I mean, I've seen stuff on your Instagram. You're having house parties as a sophomore. You're passing out. You know, like mm-hmm. at, at, at your own place, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, when did it start to get in the way of your production? I mean, I think it started to get, like, I mean, I saw it grades wise, probably a little bit in my eighth grade year because I was always a really bright student, like 96 average all across the board, 100 in math every single quarter, like really good student in math. Um, and then I remember my grade dropped a little bit in my eighth grade year, and that's I started drinking my late seventh grade. So, um, I'm guessing that started to move into there and then high school didn't care about school, you know, just cheated to get by. Luckily I was naturally smart. So I could kind of make, you got, you got in, let's, let's not bury the lead. You got into Princeton. Yeah. I mean, on an 89 average, I think <laughs> okay. cumulative, you know, I mean, my SAT was good. It was like 1900. I, you know, I took a prep course and all like when I, when I, when it came down to it, I was like, okay, I, I'm going to do this prep course and get the score I need to get. Cause it wasn't there. Um, but yeah, it was affecting my school. Did I really know? I don't know. I just felt like I just didn't start to, didn't care anymore. So I don't know if I really noticed it affecting anything. I was Were you like, entitled okay, to being, being an athlete 
Um, um, like- so I actually, it's funny. I didn't start off playing football until my sophomore year of high school. So I was actually a cross country runner and I was top five in the country for, um, freshman in cross country. So I ran like a sub 17, five K four thirty mile. I mean, I was literally like this thin. I was 95 pounds lighter than I am now. I was six, three, one thirty five, six, three, one thirty five going into my, so 90 pounds going into my freshman year. And so I didn't really, I like, I remember like stretching at the cross country, like where we would stretch and looking at the football field. I'd be like, man, I, I would dream about Friday night lights. Like that's the funny part is so yeah. I was, but I was always like a goofy guy and like outgoing extroverted. So I feel like I was pretty popular up until that point, but I didn't always feel like I was like the man. Like I was like, Oh man, I wish I could get there. I wish. And then, and it's like sophomore year, I decided to start playing. And my buddy who started as a freshman at quarterback, great football player, um, went to William and Mary. Oh, all right. Um, so he was the quarterback and I just was like, one day I was like, Oh, let me just go throw routes with you guys. And like, it's, you know, it, it came naturally. Cause like I was a basketball player. So I was going to, I was on varsity like my sophomore year, but I was always like a great runner. And I just think like, that's what I thought I was going to do. But then I Were people like Luke, you're, 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 you're too exceptional at cross country. You can't. Oh yeah. Big time. People were like, you're screwing up your entire life. Like scholarships, like you're, you had all these big time opportunities and now you're throwing it all away just to go play football. Describe yeah, for people like what that's like, that like the dedication to cross country. Like how hard is that? I have no clue. Oh, it's, oh, it's nuts. Like it's because you're really going out there every day and you're not, I mean, football, there's like some fun moments and like you can, it's like you're in team O, let's say, and you're running play after play, but there's like the mental aspect of like thinking where you have to be and like getting to catch the ball and like, you know, having big moments without like throughout practice of the games, but cross country, it's like, you're just in your head the whole time. So it's like, it, I feel like that those endurance sports are really like, you really got to have that mental aspect. And like, that's, I always had that. So it was never like, it was never like, Oh man, Luke's doing drugs and alcohol and he's lazy at practice. It was like, no, when you got me there, when coach got me on the field or wherever, you know, on the court, I was the hardest worker out of anybody that was there. I mean, anybody can attest to that. Like that's that's what I was always known for. Was now the at my level, Division One, you know, I wasn't doing nearly anything that other people were doing. Like people that came into Princeton, like these guys were played in Georgia, Florida, all these big states where they play football all year round. They're in the weight room. I never touched a weight. I touched a weight like two months out of the year, and then that was it. And then like summertime. I was like missing because I'd always just be out like forever and like, <laughs> missing, yeah, like you know, that. so it was just like, that's a great dad, way to describe it. I was, I was missing. Yeah. Like yeah. I, you know, I wasn't there. Like I should have been like spring in this spring. I definitely was when I had a good grind going cause I was at school. And mm-hmm. so it was like, okay, I didn't have a sport and there was no like running out of school to like get away from like the weight room or the field. And so that's when I would lift. And then after that, I'd never lifted. So always going into the season as skinny as possible um, very little reps throwing, not not nearly as much as it should have been, and just still ended up, you know, everything, everything better than I could ever you. imagine. You know what I mean? When, when did you when you got uh, aligned with with football and the sport? Did you start to party a little bit more? Like now you're part of a team, and you know it's not so much a knock on football because the camaraderie and the locker room is one of the best parts about it. But at the same time. Mm-hmm. Guys on the team like to go hard, and if you like to go hard, you can certainly find your tribe within the locker room. 
Oh yeah, no, it, it definitely enhanced it. Um, because I was always, I'm, I'm a very competitive person. It's something that, to the point where, even now, so I'm like, okay, I gotta like work on like, I play pool in my basement with my cousin, and I expect to win like every game of pool. And I'm like, why isn't the ball going in? Like, I should be making these shots, you know. And it's like, okay, like just a game, calm down. So I took that into like every aspect of my life besides probably school. Yeah. During that time period, and. So when it came to partying, I was like, I want to be the one that drinks the most, who goes the craziest, who has all the attention. You know, like I constantly wanted everybody's attention. And I was an, an extrovert, a natural entertainer. So like I got some of that and I would feed into it even more so. So, yeah, it was totally uh, increased that because that party going into my sophomore year where bow and arrow got shot through my parents window. Like I got <laughs> sneakers stolen, like my fridge door was removed, like there was food and stuff all over the ceiling like the ground was covered in beer cans like it was nuts tv was like in the front lawn like all the screens were kicked in everything like mini project x don't even remember a thing and that was all to like impress you know like yeah. oh, like my parents are away like let's have the whole team over it was like all the older guys they invited their friends yeah i don't really remember any of it but <laughs> holy shit so did the police come or anything I honestly don't think they came for that one. I lived down a cul-de-sac and it wasn't like nobody lived near me, but I guess my neighbors didn't say anything. Yeah. I had other parties where the cops came when I was like a little older. Where were your parents? Uh, they were on vacation in uh, Long Beach Island. So my grandma had a beach house when we were um, up until like two years ago. She actually just sold it. But that was like our vacation spot. If it wasn't for that, like my parents would never have done anything. They're very just like chill. Don't. That's my you know, family just... was the same way. We had an, I, my, my uncle had a place on Long Island. So we would mm. go there, um, and then my we would go to Connecticut where my dad was from. But and we were lucky. I was lucky to grow up where I grew up. But school mm -hmm. was school was out when they when they went away, you know. And as my brothers and I got older, um, the parties were just out of control. And oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's so I can I can relate. Same type of background, same type of uh, same type of situation. Which now when you got in trouble, what was your relationship like with your parents? Would they would they freak out? Were they hardcore? Interesting. Yeah. So mom, super hardcore, even to this day. Um, you know, like, and obviously I'm not really, I'm not doing the stuff that I was doing before. So like our relationship is definitely, you know, we have a very tight relationship now. But before we butt heads every second of every day. Because um, they know what you're up little, to. Moms know, dude, you know? Yo, oh, yeah. I mean, and I was just stupid about it too. There was no like secretiveness. I mean, it was like, you know, blacking out. I'm like, what, what can I do at that point? They're, they're my ride. You know, my parents are my ride. So it's like, what was I going to do? Um, so yeah, that relationship wasn't great, but my dad was always, he was not strict at all. So he didn't care. And my parents are together too. Cause I always say that and people are like, Oh, like were your parents split? I'm like, no, like they're just exact opposites <laughs> when it came to like parenting style. So like, it was like, my mom was laying down the hammer and then I'd be like, Oh, screw you mom. And then my dad like didn't care. So. Hey there, homeowners. Is it time to give your yard a complete makeover this summer? Villani Landshapers, a local family-owned business, has been transforming landscapes for more than 20 years. Villani Landshapers specializes in landscape design build, retaining walls, outdoor living spaces, and so much more. Request your free consultation today and check out their gallery of residential work at villani-landshapers.com. From the host of the popular podcast, The Only One in the Room, Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins is a propulsive and vivid memoir about the journey to sobriety and self-love amidst addiction, privilege, racism, and self-sabotage. 
Best-selling author Holly Whitaker calls it an irresistibly delicious story. And MacArthur Foundation fellow and best-selling author Kiese Lehman says Stash is emotionally riveting. Buy Stash by Laura Cathcart Robbins now, wherever books are sold. Welcome to One Star Rewind, a new podcast about those dreaded one-star reviews that every business owner hates to receive, but yet every customer loves to read. During this podcast, we will peel back that one-star review to better understand how it happened, when it happened, and what the business owner is doing after receiving that one-star review. This podcast will be about love, hate, and laughter. On One Star Rewind, we will meet with real business owners who will tell their stories and how they do rely on reviews for their business. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or download us at roguemedianetwork.com. Please subscribe, but only rate and review for not a one-star review. Join us each time for a new review and a new story. Frozen, Frozen, heroes. Gonna tell you about Frozen, Frozen, heroes. Gonna tell you about. Hey, I'm Zach. And I'm Mike. And we have a fantastic new podcast to tell you about. Bros, foes, and heroes. It's the two of us looking into the world of comics, breaking down some characters that you may have never heard of, and some that are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so Zach comes up with a character each time, and uh, I go into it just completely blind. I don't know who this person is or what their abilities are or anything, and, and basically I guess we kind of go over their origin story and just some of the ridiculous stuff that maybe especially golden age stuff oh golden yeah. age stuff is always the best and we will make sure to highlight all of the shenanigans and just absolute weirdness yeah. of everything yeah, that's right so subscribe today and uh, follow us on instagram at bros bros heroes and if you don't i know where you live not really but please subscribe <laughs> bros and bros and heroes um, what are we doing here, Rusty? What are we gonna do? Uh, yep, we're doing the uh, King of the Hill rewatch podcast. King of the Hill yes, rewatch podcast. Yeah, so we're gonna go through one episode at a time. Uh, come along for the ride with us. Come check it out. And give me give me a good um, like Dale Gribble quote to go out on. Wingo, yeah, Wingo, <laughs> Wingo, Wingo. All right, well, join us, uh, join us for uh, the uh, King of the Hill rewatch podcast. Nine one one, what's your emergency? Do you hear that? It's coming from the house. It's coming from inside the house. Uh, do you mean? Could it be? The Bolter House. New from Rogue Media, two haunted hotties talking about haunted places. Every episode, we dive deep into the darkest places and give you a bit of history. We're getting spooky in all the right places. You've gobbled your last ghoul. Follow along for the craziest and spookiest stories with Debbie's Dark Tourism. The Stanley Hotel, Winchester House, The Alamo, Hotel Monte Vista, and more spooky places. Find us at the underscore Poltergals, P-O-L-T-E-R-G-A-L-S. 
look over your shoulder. It's us, the Poulter Gals. Wherever you consume the podcast, you can find us there. Ever try to put you into uh, into like any kind of treatment or rehab when you were younger? No, no. Okay, because no, you were excelling. Never... Yeah, I mean, I was excelling on the field. My classroom work wasn't great, um, but yeah, I was excelling on the field. And I'm trying to think. I just got in trouble a lot. Got stuff taken away. Got in a lot of arguments. Run away. You know. Run away. I love that type of stuff. What, yeah, what was your relationship like? Yeah, what was your relationship like with 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 girls at this time? What's your what what are your relationships like? Um, so I mean, like, I had started having a girlfriend when I was going into my junior year. When I like my sport, that's when junior year is like when football took off. Yeah, you're getting and that's recruited. when I like got a name for myself, you know. Um, and that's I had a girlfriend, so I was always there, like over there. Their house was like the party house. They had like their house and then they had this barn behind their house that they actually renovated and it's like insane it was like in a magazine and stuff like it's like yeah i can't even describe it my mind but, like, is blown. Everybody... My, my mind is getting blown right now oh, it's yeah, like, like and so like, everybody would go there yeah it's a cool spot like you know like they had a pool table 67 corvette body like you know it was just like <laughs> you know it was just cool stuff i'm like they're they're awesome people like i haven't talked to them in a while because um, my ex and i haven't been together for two years um great family great girl like i i think the the world of them but yeah i was always over there and so my mom didn't like that either she's like why do you always like why are you sleeping over blah, blah. my mom's very like conservative dude that's what i would do too you know? because i i when when i started to evolve as like an alcoholic i realized that i could go other places and parents weren't as stringent as mine i mean i couldn't because my mom knew the jig was kind of up when I was like a sophomore, junior in high school. I was drinking mm-hmm. all the time. She was finding weed. I mean, I wasn't into hardcore drugs like yet, but it was like, yeah. this dude's got a problem. She knew alcoholism ran in my dad's side of the family. And I was away from home as much as I could. And my parents would freak out. They'd be like, you're not sleeping over there. They were just worried and they didn't know how to handle yeah. it. You know, so they, and then I, I always had like, a, my dad was, was a badass. I mean, it was, he was tough. And so I had like a fear of my parents in a way that like I, even I would be this big guy like staying out all night. But I was like terrified. My mom would be like, well, your father's going to have his way with you when you get home. And I would be like, oh, I'm still my dad's dead. I'm still scared of him. You know what I mean? Like, God yeah, bless yeah, his yeah. soul. Oh. That's how I see my, like my mom, you know, like, yeah. my mom's like the hammer. You know? Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Like, so, uh, so, so go do whatever, you know? Yeah. So I get that. Um, Like like this being away, being somewhere else where the rules are you know more relaxed and that's alcoholic and and mm. addiction when you think about it like i'm sure you're in love with the girl and it's fun over there but like why aren't you spending time you know what i mean like you know like yeah. there's not for me there was not like I, I wanted i was chasing freedom and whatever else you know away from home when did you have exactly. your, your first big consequence because of alcohol and drugs we talked about the party what's after that Probably thirteen. I mean, probably had some before that. What were some of the bigger ones? I remember ones? Uh, bigger ones. I mean, like when I was thirteen, I remember like like my friends and I got in trouble. Like I really, I was the one that got in trouble with the police. But it was like you know we were so young, nothing ever happened of it. But house parties. Um, I got in trouble with the cops my junior year, I think, or maybe early. 
maybe late junior year um friend and i were like went and smoked weed like boxed uh my car um like drove like 30 minutes and like i made a wrong turn so i did a ue and the cops came up on the overpass got like five tickets and i had like the princeton offer since like my junior year so that, that might have that must have been my senior year so i was like all worried about that like didn't know what was going to happen where they got to find out luckily yeah. that was that's addiction table. dude i i got caught uh smoking weed going into my freshman year in, in college mm. and i was like always like the other shoe's gonna drop they're gonna find out yeah. I'm, I'm gonna get kicked out i'm gonna lose my scholarship 100 percent with you and it's like that exactly. is that's that whole thing right it's like you're constantly living like oh are they gonna find out right exactly exactly you're it's paranoid about something at 24 7 and and then it was like my the video that you probably saw was like the first time i like technically got arrested uh was at school it was like a, me and a bunch of guys were smoking in my room before during football camp before freshman year even started cops came and like i had to take the fall and like you know got arrested fingerprints smug shot all that um so that was my first time getting in trouble and then my second arrest was Going into my sophomore year, uh, leaving a pregame, had an open container. Cops saw me. I was like the last one, so it was just me. And I had like a bag of coke in my pocket, some weed rolled up. And I was like, oh, I'm not about to get in trouble with them again. Like, yeah. So I just took a step towards the cop and booked it, like just ran. Got away because I was fast. And then I went back out that same night. <laughs> that same night. Insanity. Instead of staying in, like, I was like, no, I'm going back out. Yeah. And, like, we went out to, like, called the street, and that's where all, like, everybody parties. And at these places called eating clubs at Princeton. They're, like, oh, oh like, by the way, you're 6'5", you're and you're a football player. 6'5", a football player. And I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a toothpick at that time. And I am actually wasn't a football player at the, the, the time because I quit right at the end of the summer of my freshman year because I, like, hurt my ankle. And I just use that as an excuse to say, okay, like, you know, I maybe I should just work on uh, my my grades. Right? Yeah, work on my grades. <laughs> you know, I ended up joining a frat and like getting involved in all this shit. And so then that they got me that night when I was out. They found you. Yeah, so I got a bunch like resisting arrest too, like when they got me and all all this stuff. So drug charges, resisting arrest, and that was when I got kicked out of school for a year, and I had to like come back and prove myself. So luckily, I got sober. You know, that that year I had to take off and I got sober in April. So I got in trouble right before Halloween, got sober April 21st. So you get sober um, in April. What, what what do you do to get to get sober? How, how do you embrace yeah. recovery as a young dude? Because I know that, like, it's very easy to compare yourself out at that age. Yeah. Um, so I was like, you know what, I got to get sober. And I, I at that point, I knew it was an issue, like, when I got in trouble. I, did, I didn't really want to do anything about it, but I was like, all right, let me get sober. Got sober for probably like two weeks. And then I, you know, all of a sudden something like I had a wedding. I think it was my cousin's wedding. Uh, ended up drinking a little bit, but got high and then cycled. And then like, it was probably like a month on a month off, you know, just kept going back and forth of getting sober for a little bit and then going back out. And then it was like, I ended up probably being out for like two months. At that point I was a waiter at a local diner. Um, you know, people would come in and be like, oh, Luke, like, how are you? You know, like, yeah, and, like you're that, that point, guy. Like, yeah, the story was on like the local news channels. Like, um, people said they were running ads on their Google, like, and people in my area, like, it'd be like, local star arrested at, yeah, well, it's clickbait, you know, like, dude. 
It's interesting. Clickbait, one hundred percent. I'm sure they made some good money off that. Yeah. I can't blame them. <laughs> That's just good old capitalism. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, where was I going with this? So, what um, were you doing? Like, you know, you're you're out for for like, uh, you know, before you kind of finally yeah. eventually land. Sorry, right. And then the yeah. last time where I was still like out and about, got kicked out of my house. Your parents kicked you out. Yeah, my mom. My mom kicked me yeah. out for sure. Yeah. What, what happened? What'd you get? What, what'd you do? I don't even. It was probably just doing the same shit. You know, my mom was like, yeah. she's going to like let you have it. Like, you know, so we probably got in a big screaming argument, like almost like a fight or whatever. And I was like, all right, I just walked out, stayed with friends for like three weeks. And eventually, like, I actually got like, I left my job because I hurt my back and then I had no money. All this stuff is like, I had no money. My friends didn't want me anymore. Like, I was staying up, bouncing around. And I was just like, all right, I'm sick and tired of this shit. So I was like, okay, like I'm actually going to like reach out to somebody and get help. That was really the turning point was saying, okay, I need to lean on somebody else. And so um, my high school football coach, he, you know, says I can talk about this when necessary in the program, reached out to him. How awesome is that? How did you know? Not not to go into this guy's background or say his name or anything, but how did you know that he was sober? Um, I think through like family and stuff like, you know, and he, I mean, he saw me develop throughout high school. So he was like, all right, this dude's definitely uh, looking like he's on the right trajectory of being in the room soon. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I knew of him and I was like, all right, like, let me just go ask him for some help. And I remember we went to the school, talked for like two hours that day. And I was like, yeah, like, could you sponsor me? And he was like, yeah, I'd love to. And the rest is history from that day. I probably had like a week, of sobriety at that point but that was like didn't turn back dude describe before on. we get into the recovery that's an awesome story describe what it's like to be you're the you're the football star you go to an ivy league school i would imagine people are around you constantly um people want to be around mm-hmm. you and then yeah. now you're that guy who's couch surfing has no money and for me i remember that was a real kick in the nuts dude when my friends who I was like family with didn't want me around anymore. Mm. You know, like what, what was yeah. that emptiness like? It, like? Like you're saying people are surrounded by people constantly. I remember being like all over the state and other States people be like, Oh, like you're Luke Tim, like the guy that broke all these state records. Right. And I was just living off of that. And then, so it was like all that gets taken from me and it was definitely a freaking shot to the gut. But I always tell people like I was always like delusionally optimistic about my situations and always believed in myself to the point where it was like too much, yes. but it also like benefited me a little bit. I feel like my mindset. So I was like, I'm going to make something out of this, even though I was still doing the wrong stuff. Um, like I remember getting arrested, the handcuffs on me, um, being in front, like on the ground in front of like the whole school cop takes me up, puts me in the car. I remember sitting in the back, like thinking about how I'm going to make like, a documentary of my comeback, you know, like, which didn't happen, but like, that was like, well, eventually like, it did. Yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah, like eventually, the, yeah, I guess this is the documentation of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was the same way, dude. Uh, I used to watch, I've said this before. I used to watch documentaries of guys who got sober and I would think like, okay, like I got a shot. Like maybe, mm. maybe that can be me someday. You know, like I really did. And maybe that's the athlete me or whatever. I, I love the, I love always love comebacks, even as a kid. Yeah. And, and there's this, your story, right? AA or, you know, I'll say AA recovery yep. can, is, is the best, some of the best comeback stories of all time. Mm-hmm. I mean that, and that's flat out. That's, that's the deal. And, and, you know, you're a walking, living, breathing example of that. 
When you got into recovery, well. yeah, thank you. When you got into recovery, what did you start to do? Uh, were you really, for me, I was like willing to go to any lengths. What did you do where you were like, wow, this is not something I want to do, but I'm going to do it. And then after you did it, you felt uh, fulfilled. Yeah, honestly, I, I like the meetings. So it was never like, oh man, I, I got to go to a meeting. I didn't do like the 90 and 90, but I did probably like three or four a week. Doing the meetings, um, I liked those. I think it was probably, I don't know. I honestly felt like I kind of was like excited to be going through this. I remember like, it was just like, okay, I'm committed to this and I've got like support around me and it just felt good because like I was getting some outside um, like assurance essentially from other people like, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Um, where before it was like, it was always like, dude, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. And so now I was like moving in the right direction. Yeah, and that's I think a great, that's a good. great point to bring that up. That's such a, uh, that's such a beat down. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you kind of bring it, you bring it on yourself, right? But people who love you and they're, they're around you, like, what are you doing? And it's constant. 100%. So you, there's a lot of drinking and using behind that. For me, it was. Exactly. And it was like, even like seeing people around town, like, like oh, what are you up to? And then like, I was very open about it from the, the jump because I was, my story was everybody knew. Yeah. It wasn't like. That does make it, it easier a little bit when everybody knows. It's like in a right. way. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Because like people come to me like, oh, how are you doing? And like <laughs> you knew that they knew, you know. So like, oh, I got nothing to lose. Like telling these people like, yeah. yeah, I'm getting my shit together, you know. So I don't really remember like situations where I just remember like not hanging out with the same people anymore. Like I was like, you know, sorry, can't do it. Like I'm sober, can't be around it. That was a little tough, but I was lucky to have like good people in my life that I kind of pushed away before because they weren't do in involved in the same lifestyle, like family, like my cousin, he's my roommate in New York city right now. Um, he's the same age as me. I had him to lean on. I had my other buddies who I actually started drinking with, um, like when I was 12, but they didn't like, they weren't, you know, they didn't take it to like the next level sure that i was at right yeah. they weren't at that level and like i was around those next level people and then i was able to go be around them tone it down and like i didn't tell them like they did not they didn't stop drinking for me but it was still a lot more stable environment and like you know i don't know i just embraced it like entirely from the jump um yeah, i've noticed I, this recently about my, my own story you really do find yourself when you're like walking the walk right it's like you you are surrounded by winners uh, mm -hmm. Like eventually, and then maybe not overnight, and it's hard to make decisions. But like, you do wake up one day, and if I think about all the people I'm in contact with, for the most, they're all people that are working towards something, working on themselves. Yeah. They some drink, some don't, some smoke weed, some. Don't. It's not, you know, I, I have singleness of purpose. I'm not any place I don't need to be, right? Um, yeah. But I can go anywhere. It's it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And exactly. uh, and I do. I was thinking about that recently. Like I'm wow. I was the I was all it was me and sordid characters and unsavory places, you know, or unsavory characters and sordid places, and now it's it's different like that, you know. Yeah, it's like now I can go to New York City nightclubs and like you know it doesn't even cross my mind. Yeah. But going to the point, like yeah, like it was like at first it started working out for me. It was like that was something I never did consistently. Like I was always an athlete, but I never like actually hit the weight. So I started doing that and seeing results, and like was surrounded with people that were working out too. So that right there was like the first thing that just led me into like making myself better. And I was like, okay, like if I do this, if I stop this variety stuff, like I'm going backwards with my physical health, like I'll probably stop lifting. Like, um, and, and I, I had a lot to lose too. You know, I had Princeton, like I, I saw the opportunity to go back. So I was like, I don't want to screw this up. Um, what were the conditions for, for you to come back? 
Um, I remember I had to do therapy when I first got back. I had to do like a piss test towards the end of it. So they were like, you got to stay sober. Yeah, I didn't really I didn't really know those are their conditions right away. I think that kind of just happened. They didn't say I had to stay sober, but I think it was like the drugs probably okay. sober. Like they wouldn't know if I was drinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but luckily I had like a cool therapist that was there. Um, but I just want to go back to like what you're saying about yeah, like the the people. Like I was lucky to have those great people, right? Like at Princeton, like, yeah, I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, but there were so many good people that were there too. Like I had so many good people before that. And somebody reached out to me yesterday on Instagram. And was like, hey, like, I'm like, how do I surround myself with people that want to like better themselves? And I'm just like, that's a good question because like, I had like, I was lucky to have those people around me. And like, I, I think I get emotional with those people. I thank them all the time. I'm like, you like, you guys are there for me, seriously. But when I think about those people, I'm like, damn, like, what would I have done if it was like, I didn't have anybody, like, even like in my house, like, you never know, like some p- parents aren't even pushing for their kid, right? Like, yeah. Um, some people have friends, nowhere to like, go. Some don't people any... don't even know. Some people don't have your football coach that they right. know, okay, this guy is involved. 100%. Like, yeah. I was just lucky to have connection, like a recovery community, and also just people that were like good influences. And it's like, wow, that is a tough question. Like, I, who am I to like tell people really what to do? Cause I did have it, I had it good in that situation. And, uh, have a good night. And, um, Luke's waving to people, yeah. uh, leaving his office. Yeah, have a good night. Exactly. He's like the chairman What's of the board nut? in there. Um, What's this nut doing in here? Um, <laughs> so, uh, by, by the way, you mentioned, um, you know, being around people and be appreciating them, people that stuck with you. Mm-hmm. Where do you, are you clearly a guy that comes from a place of gratitude. How do you, how do you stay in that zone? Um, good question. I think I stay grateful by like always trying to make progress with myself. Like if I've kind of, I'm just sitting around in a slump, like I feel like I wouldn't be able to feel grateful because things aren't moving in the right direction. You know, like I kind of have to always be constantly working on something and just thinking like, you know, looking back retrospect, right? Like where I was, where I've come. Um, I, and I think just like doing the things that I've been doing, like you get that, those outside affirmations from other people. And then it's like, okay, like, wow, I really have come far. Like people are recognizing this and that's huge. Not that you need that, but that. No, but sometimes you're the last one to see it, you know, even your progress. Like, and that's why, are you still involved with recovery meetings and stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I go, I I have a meeting right down the street that I like to go to. Awesome. Um, But, and then a new kid comes in or a new man or woman or whoever, and you see that change in them. And for me, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah. Like, I guess that's happening with me or happened with me, you know? Exactly. You, Mm -hmm. you know, you totally forget it. And it's like, at the place I'm at, I feel like I've elevated myself so much now. It's even like, think about where I was before. It's like so far away. Like so many steps have happened since then. It's like, I have to sit back sometimes like, oh, wow. Like (laughs) I did come pretty far and it's like, oh, it's only been four and a half years, you know, like four years, nine months. It's like, how much more can I do? Because I'm always constantly like pushing myself, like with my goals and like where I want to be. Um and, and so, so, yeah, so one thing you, I know people are going to want the answer to this question because you're, you're, you're in New York, in the city, you got it going on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and you're still going out, uh, mm-hmm. like, like, cause you're young. How old are you? 24. That's 24 year old people go to clubs in New York city when they live in New York yeah. city. How, how are you, 
when I was 24 and I lived in New York, I would go and do coke all night, but I didn't get sober until right. I was <laughs> in my early 30s. Well, you, early 30s? Gotcha. Yeah. So that's when I got sober. Yeah. Um, so when you go out, like, like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, like, how do you, how do you maintain that spiritual fitness that enables you to go out? Cause I said, we can go wherever we want. And having that social connectivity is part of being a young man, like looking mm. for connection. Right. So how do you mm -hmm. manage that? A couple things. I think one, the people are important. So I'm just around people that like genuinely care about my sobriety. None of them are sober. Like some of them drink casually. Some of them do drugs. Like, yeah. but I've actually managed to like be good friends with all these people. Um, and they're just like supportive of my sobriety. And like if any, if I ever did anything to jeopardize that, they'd be like in shambles. Um, so I think that the people is important. Um, but I also think just like having something that's bigger than alcohol in my life, like I just have something like a vision of like where my future is. And that is like so much bigger than like what drinking and alcohol is. And like, I even see where I am with my peers, like people I went to Princeton, I'm like, I'm ahead of these dudes. Like <laughs> it used to be like, I was the guy on the bottom of the barrel. And now it's like, Oh, like I'm that guy. Like, I feel like I'm that guy. And I know where I'm going to be like, people might not see my vision, but I have uh, a perfect like whole view of it. And I know exactly where it's going to take me. And I'm like, you know, that, that wouldn't be possible if I was drinking and doing that stuff. So I think it's like having something bigger than using, having something bigger than drinking. Yeah, You have your dreams and you're also making great progress in your, in your reality, right? Like exactly. what, what is your, what is your vision? What's what's Luke Tim doing in, in, in 10 years? I mean, or, or, you know, what is that um, ultimate success story? I mean, a lot of times we can't, you know, in sobriety, we don't want to become attached to the outcome. But at the same time, it's a process, you have to, right? yeah, but, it, but there's ambition, too. Um, for me, right. I have so ambition. So what's what, I set what is my that goals, vision? it's always like I want to focus on a process like, you know, New Year's resolution. Right. I, I want it to be like process focused. Like I was saying, the reactivity to certain things like that's that's process oriented. It's not a certain goal, uh, like a, a physical tangible goal. Um, but I want to be a leader in the recovery space. I'm looking to open uh, recovery centers uh, eventually. So I'll, I'll tell you our little plan. So I, yeah, actually, yeah. my cousin is a mental health advocate. He did stuff. He had like a big mental health breakdown right after college. He was like a straight A student. You know, he's just a stud, like six five dude. Oh God, you guys, guy. you guys are trouble. So, you, and this is your roommate. Yeah, we're trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. And he's my roommate, but he went through some mental health stuff and came out on the other side, and he started doing stuff with that. He was doing speeches, and like we collabed a little bit before, but now we're like going to start working together. And so, our goal um, for this year, uh, we're, we want to do ten speeches by six thirty one. Um, so, like, want to speak at like you know big like universities like NYU, Princeton, places like that. We want to, so we're setting those up. We're like just finishing up our, our website and everything, everything behind the scenes, setting up the LLC, um, you know, like whatever, but we're doing a bunch of crazy stuff as well. So um, with these speeches, we're giving a, a takeaway that we want everyone to have something to take away. It's not just like, okay, um, we're here to talk about mental health struggle and, uh, and alcohol and addiction struggle. Like that's just a little piece of it, but we want to give everybody a takeaway because not everybody that's going to be there, is going to relate to having some sort of substance or mental health issue. Right. So we're like, how can we give something to everybody that's there? 
And so like we wanted to create like we, we look at ourselves like informational brokers. Like we don't take any credit for the ideas that we have. We're not like we created this formula. <laughs> it's like, no, like we read into a lot of this, um, you know, into this type of stuff and like we've lived it. So like an easy way for us to create changes, like just having this four step word process, what, why, how, when it's like, what is the awareness? Why is the purpose behind it? How is the process taking it from the, biggest macro like the the end goal the vision breaking it down all the way to the micro level of like what am i gonna do to first start like on a daily basis yeah and then the when which is like now like use this moment as a time to like like push yourself to make a better self in the future and so like we're we're taking that into our speeches that's awesome we're gonna be doing some cool skits and whatnot you know, make it entertaining because i'm i like to you still so you and you have that you have that like entertainment funny bone Kind of in your, in your running through you. No, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. and I, I feel like I can bring that out even more because it's like we're talking about something serious. So it's like sometimes you get so into it, but it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like I'm a I'm a clown twenty four seven. Like that's all I do. Do you ever think about like, doing stand up or anything? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I think like you know who knows where yeah, yeah. life's gonna take me. But I'm like you know if I do these the speaking stuff and like yeah why not just hop on a stage and like you know tell jokes about myself, make fun of myself, you know? Like, Dude, when I when I got sober, um, I lived in Jersey City, and uh, and I was out of my mind when I got out of treatment. I thought I was going to be a stand-up comedian. So I, I was sober, mm-hmm. going to a shitload of meetings in the city, um, yeah. and uh, I would go to this place, Stand Up New York, at like 5 o'clock. It was like open mic, and it would be nobody there but like five or six other comedians who were just looking to like work their stuff out. And, yeah. dude, when I tell you, it was the – I look back, I couldn't do it today, but I was so involved in the program then that I was like, I'm going to do it. And I would go through and I wasn't fucking any good, you know, but I did it. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it was, it I'm was surprised. I feel like, you, I feel like you could have done it. Well, maybe, uh, you know, yeah. eh, who knows? <laughs> but no, I, it was like, there was nobody there. And honestly, here's the thing. I didn't, I know. Similar space, similar yeah. space that you're in right now. Yeah. But I didn't have, I don't know. It was so hard to do. And doing it was such an accomplishment and an esteemable act that only happens in sobriety. Like your thing going up there and doing skits with your cousin. I mean, that's kind of where this thing takes us. We're able to tap into these God-given skills, right? Because we all have, you know, I don't know. I just see people around me that have gotten sober tap into their gifts, whatever, whatever they are. And I think we all have them once we kind of dust off you know, all the shit that, that we, you know, all the, the compiled on us when we were drinking and you're using those gifts now, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. Every, everybody has skills. I mean, the, yeah, there's people on the scale that are more talented than others. You could say objectively, but everybody has stuff that they're better at and things that they can work on to get better at. So it's like, once you start the sobriety thing, it's like, I think the, the best way to stay sober is by creating progress in your life, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually. Yeah. If you're not progressing, it's almost like regressing. So I think it's like when you see people that have long-term recovery, it's because like they're making progress in all these different areas of their life. And that's why all these skills, they shine because it's like, they've been working on it this whole entire period. It's like, okay, like instead of getting messed up on a Tuesday night, like, okay, I'll start, like, I'll keep learning the piano or I'll like, yeah. you know, work on my stand up or I'll work on my new business venture. Yeah. Let me ask you, know, you something. Translate. It's uh, before I let you out of here, I got a couple more things for you. When you, mm-hmm. like, you're young and you're sober, right? Mm-hmm. And so do people call you to, like, get through to younger guys? And what's your message yeah. to them? Like like the guy that was an athlete that, that's like, forget this. Dude. I'm not, you know, this isn't for me. Like, 
what is your your message or your elevator pitch on a better life? Now you don't, you know, you're not gonna, you're not looking to accomplish anything really because you're just sharing your story. But wh- yeah. what do you say? Yeah, like I right, I told them I'm like, look, look, there's nothing in it for me, right? Like, yeah. I guess at the end of the day, it makes me feel good when I'm helping other people, but I'm not gaining anything um, externally. But uh, yeah, I think it's just trying to sell the lifestyle as a whole and just saying like, instead of looking at it like, oh, all the fun that I was having is going to be gone. It's like you create all this fun, all this hope, all this progress towards a better you that like over time, it's so, so satisfying. I mean, it's satisfying on a day-to-day basis, but like when you look back, it's like, I, it's hard to even imagine going back at this point. Like that's why my sobriety is so stable, but I'm just like, dude, look where I was. Like, I mean, I can show them newspaper articles. I can show them whatever. Like, this is this is my story. Like, I, my story is your story. You know, like it may not have the same exact details, may not have the same writing on paper, but there are so many things that are linked between uh, what you're struggling with and what I'm struggling with. And it's like, and now I'm here. It's like, and I have the results to show for, right? So it's like, you know, I was almost ruined my college opportunity. I was able to graduate, do well in school, and then, you know, get a good job in New York City, excel in my career. Um, progress really fast in that, start building something with sobriety um, through social media and then tell them about like my plans, like with the brand that I'm creating, the public speaking brand um, and all these other things. It's like, okay, so you go from somebody who could want to sit on the couch all day and was like just waiting until like that thing was finished to be able to go use Yeah. to all of a sudden somebody who's like just enjoying the process, enjoying the little things. And it's like, I feel like that is satisfying to people who are like, you know, even if they don't want to do it themselves, like, I feel like everybody deep down a little bit is like a little bit sick and tired. Like they know something's a little off and it's like, okay, like I just tell them like, why don't you just try this thing for like a day? You know, like, let's just talk every day. Like tomorrow, like we'll talk, like just try to say it's over tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. And like, I'll try to work them through it that way. And it's like, you know, they get through a week and they're like, Oh, I actually feel like good now. Like I still have little cravings or whatever, but, and they start to see that movement. And I, but I tell them like, look, you're not going to all of a sudden become like, the most productive human being in the world. Like it takes some time. I wasn't all of a sudden like, okay, now I'm gonna work out at 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. I work on my career. It was like, no, it was like a process of like me getting to that point. Um, but like, you'll start to enjoy that process more, get used to it more. Cause some people are like, oh man, it's just tough. I'm like, I'm telling you, it's like, you just gotta, you gotta believe in like what I'm saying and believe in yourself that like, if you just keep pushing through, like you're gonna ha- have small little breakthroughs and you're going to start seeing the light on the other side. It's like, oh, this is actually like working out and like making me happy. And, you know, I have something to strive for. What do you tell people that say I can't have fun anymore without drinking or using? Because that's what kept me out for so long. Yeah. I, I, I just tell them it's false. I'm, I'm going to tell them, hey, you're not going to get the same pleasure out of that stuff. Like I don't go out like on a Friday and Saturday night and like have probably as fun as I would have honestly like because like I mean it's like why do people drink totally like, okay like people drink because like you want to get fucked up and like lose thought of like everything else yeah. like lose awareness of everything that's going around like it does make you more in the moment like when you're partying and stuff like you know people drink for a reason it's not like people drink and like it's oh it's so awful like there's some sort of relief <laughs> yeah. and like pleasure totally to it. so yeah. like especially in that environment like I'm probably not going to get as much pleasure out of like going to the bars as I would have before um, but I just can channel that in so many other different areas of my life. And it's like, I'm having fun and making progress. Like I'm making myself better and having fun and like enjoying the little things on a day-to-day basis instead of like 
hating Monday through Friday and then like living it up on Friday and Saturday. It's like, okay, now I'm Sunday to Sunday. I'm like, okay, I'm like, it's steady. Everything's good. And like, it's constant, just like progress and feeling good about Dude, that progress and those moments of fulfillment. I mean, I, I mean, people can believe it or not. It's, it's for me, it's, it's better than getting high because I really feel like, like a a little bit of euphoria. Now it doesn't last all the time. You know, life is hard. Um, but like, I, I wish I could just share what I feel um, when I'm in a rhythm and sobriety to folks who don't, don't think they can ever get, I mean, it's hard at the beginning, right? Like I didn't mm-hmm. feel, I didn't rock it into the fourth dimension, you know, a month sober or, or, you know, even a year I was still banging into stuff and I'm still banging into mm-hmm. shit today, but it's like, 100%. it really is, man, it's a great way of life. And that's why I love to have, I mean, that's why I'm talking to you is because I want people to see that there is a great life, a fun life an enjoyable life on the other side of, you know, having a bow and arrow shot through your house and getting arrested, right? I mean, like, and being at odds with your... You're not supposed to fight with your mom all the fucking time. You know what I mean? Right. You're just not. And if she's different than you, you're you're in a position now to find a way to connect, right? Um, it's a beautiful 100%. thing what you're doing, dude. Anything else you want to say or plug? Um, I'll, I'll put this up next Tuesday, and I'll share it with you. But anything else? Yeah, I mean... Um... I'd love to just continue on kind of what I was talking about with the speeches and whatnot. So like, let's go. We're creating this brand. It's called Touch Streets. Or it's like a basically a public speaking brand, um, but we're also literally bringing it to the streets. So we're going to be. Um, uh, my cousin and I decided we're going to be working out in the streets of New York City instead of going to our gym. So we go to like Equinox, it's like a three hundred dollar a month gym. <laughs> yeah, bougie. You know, it's got all the the toys. It's got the chicks, all that stuff. And I'm like. And I've been one, I'm like, I want to start working on the streets either way. But I'm like, dude, like the only way, like we're really going to commit to that hardcore is like, we actually just cancel the membership. So like we're canceling our memberships. We work out on the streets of New York city. And we're also like once a week, we're going to be going into the streets of New York city with a chair and uh, a sign basically telling people to come up to us and just the signs to be like, like, if you want to create some sort of change in your life, come see us. And then we're going to basically run people through the, what, when how why with a google form and like we'll walk them through it um helping them to just get to think about like being aware of like what they want to change they might know that already and then like breaking down why getting it through and then at the end they're going to sit down in the chair and we want them to manifest um this thing occurring and like or you know this habit being ingrained and but also thinking about like the moments that are kind of come along with the process and like they say like with when you want to like manifest stuff or like have a vision of things like you actually instead of thinking about like oh man when i have uh all the shiny cars in the house like it's gonna be great it's like you know you think about like the tough moments of going through that process and then you succeeding through those moments like the time i'm I'm on stage at a school and all of a sudden i totally blank and i'm like where am i but then i'm able to like collect myself and still like do well you know like so like trying to get them to think about like hey like change is not easy right like there's gonna be tough moments failure happens thinking about yeah, failure is going to happen, but yeah. you can like push through those moments and come out on the other side and make yourself better. And so they're going to fill out that whole form. It's going to get sent to us. We're having our buddy code a thing where, um, so then they're going to sit in the chair, manifest it, and then we're going to take a picture of them. That's going to get put on the form. It's going to get sent to us. And immediately they're going to get something sent back to them. That's uh, like a little background of what, why, how, when, and then the picture of them, it's going to be like a, the opacity is going to be like 20, 25%. So it's kind of like a little bit in the background. 
of them sitting in the chair. So they'll be able to see the moment. They're going to be able to see exactly what they were thinking in that moment, and they're going to have the process right out. How long does this take? You think? How like? I think it's going to take like five, ten minutes. Okay. To, for a person, that's our goal is to like you know try to help. We want to help as many people as possible. We want to be as thorough as possible. So hey, who knows? You know what I mean? At the beginning, yeah, it's dude, like it's a an awesome idea. Error, yeah, like, yeah. Um, so you know, we'll probably be out in the streets like five days a week. Um, <laughs> I mean, funny. I work out six days a week, so I'm sure it'll, uh, it's, it's going to be. No, I have like this. I bought this portable pull-up. I'm gonna see if I can pull up a video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a video right here. It's a portable pull-up and dip bar, and it like breaks down into like a bag and like a base, and they're yeah. like 40 pounds each. So it's it's big and hefty, but like you can put it up anywhere. So we put it up in Times Square, <laughs> Union Square, all these different places. Yeah, like I'm like, dude, like we might as well get as many eyes as we can on each other as yeah. possible. So like this is this is literally me in the office that I'm in right now. I set up this box. Um. So this is the pull-up bar, me doing pull-ups on it. You guys got to see, see this. Luke is doing pull-ups right now. We will have the video of this. A uh, pull-ups? Yeah. You don't have the video yet? That so thing's pretty like awesome. No, we will have video. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it's sick. Yeah. All right, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, cause, um, yeah, so, I mean, nice little $600 toy, but that's going to be <laughs> able to use that in the street. I got some TRX bands. I don't know if you know what those yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. We'll get some resistance bands. So we're going to make it work. Um, and then just trying to get people involved in the working out like we're on the streets. And I do like the media stuff, so I'm kind of trying to think about how I want to adapt my content to make it a little bit, um, make the process a little bit faster on my end. I'm I'm outsourcing a little bit of the the editing now, yeah. And I'm going to be doing things in one take instead of like breaking down my talks. It's just going to be one take, outsource, have that person do the captions and like you know like the new trendy captions that they put on, yeah. And um, outsourcing that so I can focus a little more on that content. And so our goal with that though is like we're not asking people to like, Hey, buy this, buy that. Like we're gonna have some merch. Like we got a cool logo and everything. Um, I could pull up, but you got to send me, send me the logo. For we're sure. trying. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll send it to you. This yeah. is the logo right here. And we're like picking. Touch red. Like, most, oh, like, that's awesome. Yeah. Most like GoFundMe's they're like, Oh, you know, nice green. Like we're like, no, we're trying to be edgy. Like, yeah, you know, really <laughs> something different. And, um, our goal is to raise $3 million by the end of this year. <laughs> Which some people might be like, that's fucking nuts. And like, <laughs> and excuse me, but like it, maybe no, it is nuts. Ahead. like, you know, yeah. like most people would be like, that is, that's insane. But like, like what I've been doing in the background and stuff is like networking with people with these recovery centers. And so I like, now I understand how the operations of these centers work. Um, and that's like, we want to raise the money to open one within Manhattan for um, a youth that are like going through it, um, like teens and up until young adults. And but we're not calling it a recovery center. We're we want to create a concept where it's called an elevation center. Okay. Oh wow. <laughs> and the lights went out in my office. That's how you know you've been there for a long time. Look at this. You see me now? And so yeah. and so with this elevation center, right? Like recovery. By the way, that's um, but what you just did was smooth. The lights go out on this guy. He doesn't panic or anything. He just hits a button on his computer and we, we got light. That that is what you're trying to convey to these people. How are things going? when they're not going well or when they're not going no. as planned. And like, it's like, what do you do? You know what I mean? Like good, great move. That's a, you're, 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 yeah, I appreciate you're, that. you're, walk, yeah, you're walking, you're walking, you're walking. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I'm walking it and I've just been like, I'm doing so much stuff in the background that people don't even realize it's going on. Like business wise within the community. Um, that is like, you know, we're going to like pitch to investors and like try to raise money to like open these centers. But basically like, we, I've seen these recovery centers in action. I think they're great. They're basically like a stepping stone between like a rehab center and a going into the real world, kind of like a halfway house, mm -hmm. but a little more upscale. Yeah. 
um, because at the end of the day, they're not they're not paid by insurance. So it is out of pocket. Yeah. It's, it's a higher end uh, demographic, I would say. Um, so like Manhattan's a good place to do that because, you know, economically, yeah, um, the market is there. I mean, I know a couple of so, dudes who run facilities like you're talking about, and there's a uh-huh. lot of there's success to be had there. Like what you're saying totally sure. makes sense to me. 100%. So like we're starting there, we're creating these elevation centers where the younger audience, it's a little different demographic because for the older guys that I've seen in these centers, um, it's usually not the financials that is like something that's a problem with them. It's like they, they can make money in their sleep, slogging it back. It's more so like, oh, their family's in shambles, like yes. all this, you know, mentally they're in shambles. Yeah. Like their mindsets are good when it comes to like being a professional and like working hard, but it's like the drinking just gets in the way in other ways. But like with the youth, it's, I think, um, a way of approaching it is like they don't really have well, a lot of them don't have that mindset to where they can like they know how to make you know, money make they this, to, yeah they know how to make yeah. money they know how to make progress in their lives right it's not even just like we want to give them skills to make money but we also want to give them skills to like just to have hobbies to to work on when they're out like find yeah. th- find passions right because if you have a passion you have purpose you're it's going to keep you you have a better chance staying away from a drink or a drug than if you don't so it's like it's an elevation center we're going to have like you know, basically like a whole curriculum set up where it's like, oh, like an hour a day of like learning about mindset, like growth mindset. Because I think growth mindset's huge. People don't realize that the brain is a muscle like any other brain. It's like you can grow it by using it on a day-to-day basis. Um, teaching them about growth mindset, teaching them uh, different skills, whether that's like helping them, like tutoring them with like, you know, financial exams if they wanted to do something or down that course. Or like they want to learn about a new trade, like maybe they want to go into plumbing or like whatever, you know, like helping yeah. them get on the right path to like learning about that. And then uh also like doing hands-on stuff like woodworking like that's how my cousin that was my cousin's outlet like he did he made chairs it was called no man sits alone he would make chairs and sell them to raise the money to do the things that he was doing and so like woodworking was his outlet so like helping people find an outlet in that way like music um just instead of it being like you know school where it's like okay like you have to learn history you have to learn math you have to learn this it's like all the stuff they don't teach you it's like yeah um you know it's all like, the stuff they give us all the stuff they fit. give us adderall because we won't sit still or we won't, you know what I mean? Like exactly. there's a lot of people who have that gene and that like left brain or whatever you want to call it, that they really don't get a chance to tap into it. Cause it's not a part of the curriculum. You have music class 100%. or film or whatever, but it's not embedded, you know, and yeah. a lot and of like, addicts so if we're are just like, we that. build these people's mindsets up. Yeah. They're going to be able to be successful in whatever they do, because it's like, they're, it's not about like having the perfect tools in the beginning. It's about knowing how to like, have some sort of like uh, initiative, like being able to create some sort of initiative with whatever you're working with and being able to build on that to create the skills that you want, right? It's like finding the tools and like creating the skill that you need. So we just want people to help people become resourceful and like build ingrained habits that are positive that are gonna build them up. So that's like our one year goal. And then looking out into the year 2028, we set all these dates. We actually created a manifest page on our website. It's not a goal page because it's like- Is we the site up? This. Is the site up? Um, it's not up a hundred percent because we still have to, um, we're linking one more thing, but basically it's almost all set forward. You everything when it's done, Yeah, yeah. but we've had a goals page with the timeline. And I was like, I was like, no, it should be like a manifest page. Like this already happened in our minds. Like instead of being like, oh, like let's hope this happens. It's like, no, like this, this already happened to us. Like, so like we set the dates. We're like on 12, 31, uh, 2023, we raised the $3 million. Like that's our goal. Yeah. And then. We call it the $100 million project. Our goal by the year 2028, 1231, 2028, is to have $100 million raised 
to have a self-sufficient recovery, um, a growth center. I don't, we don't like the word recovery because it's like, all right, get back to where you are. We like elevation because it's like, you're going to somewhere you've never Dude, even Thomas been. Henderson, the guy who used to play for the Cowboys in the NFL, I saw him speak once. Mm-hmm. He's been on the podcast, but he said, you know, they call it rehabilitation. Like, like you had something going in the first place. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's like, it's not like, you know what I mean? And so that's pretty cool. Uh-huh. You're calling it like an elevator. You're, 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 you're putting somebody, you know, you're helping them spread their wings. Exactly. And like, that's what, that's the one we want to be self-sufficient, right? So it's like, we're raising a hundred million dollars. It's not going to go all towards the facility, but we want to basically have enough money in reserves that um, the revenue that's created through like the investments that it has, like, you know, maybe we'll partner with like a black rock or like, yeah. you know, that's eventual goals. Like go with like some sort of big, like dude, and you can go into these businesses, money, a hedge fund. Yeah, dude, right, there's a lot there. enough recurring re- re- revenue that yeah. it covers all the expenses of the, of the um, facility itself. So that, anybody from any demographic could come to this place instead of it being like, okay, like you have to have money. Cause like, yeah, that's going to be our model. And the, and the first one that we open, like, you know, sad to say, like these things cost money and it's like, you know, that opens up opportunities for people that do have it, but like, it's makes it tougher for people that aren't you know, socially economically in the, that upper class. So like we recognize that and we don't want that to be a barrier to be successful with recovery and mental health and all this stuff. So it's like, if we created a center, we raise this money, like that'll eventually be a, starting a not-for-profit and to have a fund that could just put cash into this facility every single year so that nobody had to pay. Like that is the ultimate goal. So it's like, to, we are doing our goals this year to raise the money for our facility. That's going to be like for profit, like we're going to own it, but eventually like we want a self-sufficient um, place for just for anybody to come. Dude, I, I love it. I love it. Thanks, dude. Yeah, thank so. you so much for your time. Send me, send me oh, the course, uh, the information on the site. I'll put this up next Tuesday, 100%. and then when you really get like uh, get up and running, I'll rerun it again. So, oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. It should be. Uh, I would say, you know, we're just working on the final little touches, yeah. but we should be out in the streets within like a week or two. Like, oh, really? Working out on the streets, hardcore. Yeah. So oh, okay. And I'm a nut. Like I'm a nut. On the I streets. can tell. Like, you're the good kind people, of nut. Like, yeah. People, people might be like like get away from me or like some people are going to love it. Like I'm going to be getting them down, throwing pushups on <laughs> with me and I'm um, getting them all hyped up and hopefully just like inspire other people to change and like spread the message. Cause I'm just like my quote, the, the quote that I, I think I created, I'm not sure. I thought about it one day and I'm like, like help me reframe things in my head. Um, extreme results require extreme actions. And like when I talk about extreme, I, I use two definitions or like it has two meanings one it yeah it means like doing crazy things like yeah if you do like things that are out there that other people are just scared to do like that's going to help you set yourself out from others and like get you noticed and then also like what is extreme in other people's mind is like doing things on a day-to-day basis that people don't like to do like that discipline right like that's extreme to other people so it's like being extreme with the discipline being extreme with like actually doing nuts things like we're working out in the middle of new york city it's coming like there's a foot of snow on the ground and we're still out here working out like recording putting stuff out getting people to try to come up to us getting them to create change in their lives and like hopefully being able to spread that message you know so we're just trying to like blow this thing up you know what i mean and just create like a a global impact like that's the goal we're just going to focus on the process we're going to do what we can control but i don't see why it wouldn't you know go to that level if we're if we're stick to our word and do it which i 100 percent 
know we're going to do. It's like some people might be like, oh, you're not going to do that. Like, oh, like I'm going to do it. (laughs) It's going to happen. Like it's (laughs) literally like two weeks away. So you'll see. Um, It's like if we do that, it's like, how can it not work? You know, it's crazy. It's so crazy. How can it not work? It's called it's called touch streets, right? Touch streets. Touch streets. And you are going to touch and impact a lot of people you already have today. And whatever I, I can do to help you well. keep it going, just shoot me your info. Um, after this, send me send me the link or whatever, and you let me know when I can like you know when it's live or whatever. Hundred percent, let's uh, do it. And I, I love to uh, get back on here, you know, sometime in the future. Yeah, maybe uh, next year. What is it? It's uh, one ten. I mean, if we did one a year from now, we could do it before. I mean, I had a great time on here, so I'd yeah. love to come back on and oh, I'll have you back. Reassess, see where things are going, and yeah. yeah, it's this is awesome. I I appreciate what you're doing because. There's not a lot of people that, you know, you're doing, I love the broadcast and stuff. That stuff's awesome, man. Like you're yeah. living the dream and you're also able to share like what you're doing as well. And it's like, I feel privileged in the same sense where I have like a very good nine to five, like in New York city, like able to support myself, make really good money and be open about this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's huge, comes, dude. goes to show how far society's come and how open people are about it now, but it's like, dude, you're sitting there you know, in a conference room, wherever you work on 42nd and park and people you're, you're sharing yeah. your story of sobriety. Everybody's waving. Hey, see you later. Luke. Oh yeah. People, people know, you know, yeah. I go out to my broker lunches and I'm like, yo, I got like, I'm sober. Like <laughs> where, where do you story. work? Can it's you like, say where you work? Uh, yeah. So it's, it's called tradesman program managers. Okay. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's called an MGA. So managing generally managing general agency okay. where we do an underwriting for like a big, company insurance company we focus on contractors in new york city so like all the guys that are building the skyscrapers doing the roads we do their general liability insurance so like anybody gets hurt on the job site slip and fall trip you know whatever something comes down and then third party um employees we're covering those claims and so i'm an underwriter so basically like those accounts come in the different contractors and i have to assess like okay how, how do I think this fits? Like, do I think this fits within our risk appetite? Like, which is like the certain criteria that the account needs to meet for like its sales, its loss history, like just diving deep into that and seeing if it's a good fit and then trying to price it up and get it out there. So that's like the financial side yeah. of things that I do. And I think like that stuff will have carry over. Yeah. When to, you merge like, them together, dude, that's, that's exactly when I like so the facilities, like, okay, I have some background in finance. So yeah. it's not like this guy's just like, uh, like a recovery hopeful, like, all right, I, I just want to open this center and like, let's yeah. see how it goes. Like, yeah, yeah. I can back it up with the numbers and like yeah. a whole business plan and like, and with some sort of like experience behind that. And hopefully I can bring like people that are in this industry that I know this industry and like the other industries within the finance world that I've gotten to network with because in New York city, it's like the recovery. It's pretty cool. Like you'll meet some, see some famous people. Like you're, you're constantly with people like multimillionaires that are like CEOs. Of it's companies, amazing like who you will see in those meetings, who you like rub, rub elbows. Oh, with. Yeah. I used to go to that so place like, called the, um, God, what the hell is it called? It's uh, on 37th between Park and Lex. It's the basement. Mm. Um, I used to go there anyways. Is it Monday Men's? No, no, no. It's called like, uh, God, I forget. I'm, I'm, I'm going to remember it and be pissed. But anyways, it's just an awesome yeah. meeting. You go down this basement and you'll see, It's who knows? You know, it's, it's like a clubhouse. Um, yeah. And it's called, uh, oh, fuck, I forget. But it's, it's, it's the best game in town. It says it on the wall. You know, this is the best, and uh. it is. And it is. All right, we yeah. got to wrap up. I got There's other people waiting to get in here, dude. Luke, <laughs> you are the man, dude. I no, appreciate no, that's it. You seriously, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Look forward to talking soon. Yeah. Uh, let's. We'll definitely stay in touch.
Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. 